As a startup, you've worked hard to develop an awesome product. You hire developers, you seek funding, and grow your business. Also as a startup, you've run lean and trained your customers as you go. Your product changes so quickly that your team may be CSMs, may be project managers, keep up and train people as they go along. But there is an inflection point. Customers might say, Your product is too hard. I don't know where to begin. I need some examples. We believe that customer education and user enablement is a pillar of customer success. And yet, everything you think you know about customer education may be wrong. It's August 17th, 2018, and welcome to episode 001, that's episode one, of C-Lab, the Customer Education Lab, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its tracks. I'm Adam. I lead customer education at Checker, and I also lead the Bay Area Customer Education Meetup. Hey, and this is Dave Darrington. I am the Director of User Enablement here at Azuqua in Seattle, Washington. This podcast series is devoted to you, the customer education pioneers out there. And what we want to do is share what we and others that we know in our extended network have learned from hard-won experiences in the trenches of a fledgling SaaS company or other startups. Now, maybe you're a member of a customer success team. You might be realizing, gee, I need to invest in customer education. Or maybe you have an interest in doing this yourself. Maybe you're also the first customer education hire at a growing company. Or maybe you're a part of the growing community of customer education heroes like us, like our network, that are super passionate and excited about this. Yeah, you know, one reason why I started the customer education meetup in the first place was because there wasn't uh, a ton of places out there where people like us could talk to each other. And I also think that's the value in us having this, uh, this cast together. Mm-hmm. Cast sounds so cool. Because uh, we're, we're, we're a rare bunch. Um, there aren't a lot of us out there. We're, we're not quite instructional designers. We're not quite trainers. We're not quite community people. Right. Sometimes we live in customer success. Sometimes we live in marketing. Uh, sometimes we live in services. So we have to do a little bit of everything, and we have to think about what we do in different ways. And if you're just starting this program for the first time, often you don't know where to begin and you don't know who to talk to in your network. Right. How many times have we heard about this, Adam? Like even some of the communities we run with where people who have backgrounds want to network and want to learn and they're finding this is a brave new world, right? Yeah, it's hard to find your people. And so I think on this podcast, one thing that we can do is we can help find the others, so to speak, right? Peers, mentors, and and people with a passion for helping others learn in a world where there's just very little out there to learn from. Right. And I find that surprising sometimes because you'd think in this field there would be a tremendous number of folks out there that have done this, have made it repeatable, and I would say we probably do. Our job in this laboratory setting is to, to connect to those, to bring that in, to share what we know, and to make it amazing. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, while there is a lot to learn from some related disciplines, uh, training services is a really good one. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's something that people have been doing for years. Customer success is now emerging. This idea of customer education that supports a growth stage business um, that often comes out of startups, people are thinking about it in, in just a really different way. So right. we're going to find our people. And, uh, you know, my, one of my catchphrases is we are all educators. So today we'll, uh, we'll help find some other educators. Awesome. Are you, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's, let's, uh, let's educate. Awesome. Well, let's kick this off. I'll go ahead and introduce what we call our hypothesis. If you didn't know, of course, you know, look up Adam and I on LinkedIn or wherever else uh, on social media you want to find us. Part of my background is I was a scientist and, and I really love to take a critical scientific background. We're going to address this question about how do I get started in customer education? There are a lot of people who say that you don't need a customer education team until your company is mature. So, so with this, Adam, what is the hypothesis that we want to test today? So we're going to test the hypothesis that mature is too late. So let's phrase it this way. 
-hmm. You need customer education earlier than you think. So starting customer education early in a business will help you scale customer adoption and growth. Great. I, I can get behind this. I think we got a lot to talk about. And it's, you think it's probably easy. You know, we, we probably know some of the, the top things in there, like making a plan, for instance. So we want to start peeling this down? Yeah, we've both done this before in our, our respective programs, maybe even a few times. So let's get going. All right. So let's, let's kick this off. Um, Adam, you want to take the reins and introduce the first, um, the, our first bullet point uh, attacking this hypothesis? Sure. So the first point that we should make is that it takes time to build a customer education program. So if you feel yourself needing it, it's probably a little too late. Mm -hmm. So start now. And the way I think about it is this. Like the longer you wait to think about customer education, the longer that you um, – sometimes people call it ad hoc hell. <laughs> but I, I call it uh, ad hoc atraz because you need that. to escape from it. But it's really hard to do. So the longer that um, the longer that you spend without customer education, the more you have customer success managers, project mm -hmm. managers, support reps, uh, whoever does this in your organization, uh, doing things manually, delivering training, uh, writing support articles, all that kind of stuff. They're doing it over and over and over, and they're taking a lot of time to do it. So right. it's inconsistent, right? Everyone's doing it their way. Right. Or it could be even that it's not just doing their way. The material could be completely out of date or wrong. Maybe, and I don't know if you've seen this when you're working with others, somebody has an old version of the corporate deck that's totally out of style, stuff like that. Or the folks that are doing this may either, one, not really like doing it, or maybe they don't have the background and they're like us trying to connect to the others to learn what it is they have to do. Yeah, one of the first times that I ever walked in to a training program, an in-house training program, and they were starting to revise the corporate deck, um, mm -hmm. I sat down with the guy who was doing it, and he was just one of the, the trainers. So his, his focus wasn't really on creating scalable content. His focus was on going out and training customers. Um, and he showed me the deck he was working on, and it basically was just a, a very um, straightforward walkthrough of every single point uh, about our product. And he said, well, look, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing in little games. <laughs> and I looked at them and <laughs> I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess that's engaging. I'm, I'm just not sure. Um, and, and that's the thing we do a lot of the time, right? We do things that we, we think might be fun, we think might uh, be engaging, but they are actually not effective from a learning perspective. Right, and that's part of, I would say that it takes time concept. Because depending on who you have and who, what their background is, they may have different approach. And look, this, and I would say this is very scientific. This is very procedural. We have to go through a process to find what works. And that often changes depending on the organization that you're in. Yeah, I think that a lot of organizations, as they grow, when you're a startup, you don't need process, right? And in fact, mm -hmm. you, you actively work to not build process unless you don't need it. Because everyone has the same context. And when everyone has the same context and they're a member of the same tribe, they don't need processes built to make anything really standardized. And so the belief that a lot of these organizations carry with them as they grow is that from a service perspective, what mm -hmm. they're providing is white glove service. Um, so right. they don't need, you know, they don't need standardized decks. They don't need scalable content um, because they're building it for each customer. But what's actually happening is it's, it's not white glove service. They're mm -hmm. just reacting to what the customer says they want. Right. And then when you're in that reactive mode, you can't scale. You can't take the time it needs to make something that's really quality, right? Like, so, yeah. so let's go ahead and sidle up to this question of how long it takes to build, uh, let's say, the first level of a program. So a hypothetical, you've got an organization that you come into. You're that first person that's been designated the customer education professional. You might have some title. You might be a customer success, whatever. How long is it going to take you to build that first tier? And I would say months if you're lucky. So mm -hmm. at, Opti <laughs> at Optimizely, and I think you're relatively new into the thing at Checker, how much time has it been, how much time did it take you to launch that first initial thing and then get to the, the meat of it? Yeah, you know, I guess when you ask the question that way, one thing that comes to mind for me is that 
this is an iterative process. So mm-hmm. the first thing evolves over time. We probably had three or four first things. But the, the first really big milestone was when we launched our first version of Optiverse, which was our consolidated community and academy and uh, knowledge base site. That took about a year from the time that we hired our first dedicated customer education person to build. So I've been a checker at this point for about nine months, and we are just at the point now where we're launching our first online academy. Fabulous. So let me share some of my experiences too. When I was at Gainsight, uh, I can tell you that when, when I came into the role, there was nothing. There was a lot of great documentation, but there was no structure for it. And mm-hmm. when I began, I think I came on in August 2015, and it really took me until uh, the first big Pulse event, which was, I think, in April of that following 2016 year. And so that was around about, you know, probably about the same amount of time, about eight months to really kind of get it put together. But it wasn't until a year later in which I could say, I feel good about this. I've iterated, I've gone through the process. And you know, one other statistic and that I've seen out on the market is for, for content development. And, and I think this, this totally opened my eyes, Adam. And, and you, know, you tell me if you've heard the similar thing. It takes about, let's say you're going to develop live training, right? You're going to go out, you're going to teach people in a live setting. Maybe it's a custom A lot request. of people start. That's how you start. And that's actually one of the best ways to start. You start small and you say, I'm going to break out this piece. It could take you probably for one hour of content. I mean, it's one hour of I'm just doing nothing but talking to you. About 20 or 30 hours. Do you, would you agree with that at that end? I've, I've heard that, yeah. And but, yeah, that resonates with me. Yeah, and then uh, the other end of it, and you know, in the show notes, we'll try to to demark these more clearly the references that we cite. Uh, it's more like for an on-demand. That means I'm going to make e-learning. I'm going to build modules. I'm going to build a, a course. Have it all online. It can take up to a hundred or more hours to do that for one hour of content. Same thing, but then again, you're doing polish. You know, you want it. It's going to live a long life without you. So that's a lot of time. And I think when you jump into this. I don't know about you, Adam, like when I started, I, I had no idea it would take this long. And then all of a sudden I go, yep, pretty valid. Yeah, longer development time, but uh, longer shelf life, hopefully. So you're right. You know, you, you start small, you iterate, but even the stuff that's starting small takes a long time to create relative to the delivery time. So I, I think a lot of people... You know, this is like a sub myth of our first myth. A lot of people have the perception that, like, oh, how long could taking how long could it take to deliver, you know, one hour of training? <laughs> how how long could it take to develop one hour of training? Yes. Right? It's just training. You just like throw some slides in the deck. And what I always want to say when people ask that question is, okay, why don't you try it? Uh huh. And see how uh, engaging it is, and see whether people actually do the thing you trained afterwards. <laughs> Have you ever, have you gotten to actually do that? Have you said, look, okay, I, I back off. I'm going to let you do this. I have done that in, in some cases. <laughs> so I remember sometimes uh, working with uh, maybe like partner training groups where mm-hmm. they want to customize everything a little more because there's a smaller set of partners uh, compared to the number of customers. But uh, I, I usually don't try to shove development hours in people's face. Yeah, people find that know, rude. Oh, it is rude, but sometimes it's it's good to prove a point. And he, here's an anecdote that I'll share: uh, an instance where I, I think it was some of the CSM team were working with a, a pretty big client, and they decided to they, oh we're going to do the the train the trainer ourselves. And they spent that time and they did that. However, it was long nights, long, I think they took an entire weekend of their time where they didn't spend with families just to put it together. Then they realized after the fact, oh, uh, it, did, it failed to meet the mark. And it, it actually is a really good validation point when you do that in an org. Like say, hey, I'm going to work with you. I'll let you actually develop this. And then it validates the fact that it takes, yes, when I say it takes 100 hours to develop e-learning content, you should probably listen to me. <laughs> yeah. Try, try making this yourself. So I actually just looked this up, Dave. Um, awesome. And this is, on, this is on ATD's site, the, uh, the Association for Talent Development. Oh, fabulous. They, they did a, a comparison where they, they took a, an average in 2009 
and then another average in 2017 about the number of hours that it takes to develop the average uh, live instructor-led and then self-paced e-learning course. And so the results that they're giving is that in 2017, it takes about 40 hours to produce one hour of traditional training, 30 hours for uh, one hour of virtual instructor-led, 42 hours to produce one hour of passive click-through self-paced e-learning. And that number just ratchets up when you start adding more interactions. So 71 for limited interaction, 132 for more complex interaction, and 142 if you want to have more um, like simulations or mm. software emulation or, or those type of interactivities. That and those are, down from, those are down from uh, 2009 pretty dramatically because a lot of people are using rapid dev software now, but mm. still pretty high relative to one, one hour of delivery. I think it's pretty exceptionally high, but that you, you have to think about all what's in there. Like you'll, you, sometimes you have contemplative time where you just simply have to like hold the product in your head and think about what the goal is. Or a lot of the times, and I know you do this, you'll have to corner somebody in a room who's a technical expert and say, you're not going anywhere until I get this stuff out. And then you have to validate that with them. So it's yep. the un, it's the little pieces. And, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this in future podcasts where like, what are all the things, what's the mechanisms behind developing really good training? What are all the hats I got to wear to get there? So yeah, I would say these numbers are really valid. And this is a good starting point when you go as a customer education professional to your manager and say, yes, it's going to take this amount of time. And they and, and I've had this, Adam, I don't know if you've had this. I've had somebody say, that's absurd. It's not going to take you that long to do that. And I go, al contraire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look, look at industry standards. Here's the numbers. Oh, and then it does take that kind of time or more in a lot of cases. Yeah, I've, I've had that challenge too. I've had people say to me, no, it's not really going to take that long. And I, I like to phrase it as an option. Mm -hmm. So I basically, you know, I, I show those types of numbers. Um, I don't know that I've used those exact numbers, but I have that, you know, limited interactivity, loss of interactivity, and I, I make it a quality question. So, yeah. you know, we can, we can do things more quickly that are easier to produce. And in the early days we should, but if we want something that's actually going to engage users, we're going to have to take a little more time to create it. So I, right. can, uh, I can put that link in the show notes, and we can make that available to our listeners. Awesome. Let's do that. So let's go, let's go to the second one. I feel real passionate about the second bullet, and I'm going to let you tackle the third one, if that's cool with you. All right. Let's All do right, it. Let's... So the second part of our, our discussion here is really to say, if you're waiting and you say... I can't afford to hire somebody. I don't think I need to hire somebody, whatever the thought. You are hurting your customers and you're hurting your team. Sound bold? Sounds painful. It is painful. So let, let me let me peel this uh, let me peel this back and explain what I mean by this. Think about all that time that you put or somebody else may put into that ad hoc or ad hocatras, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. I'm sharing that with everybody, Adam. You get credit for it. Um, I, I just laughed hearing it said back to me, so. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I said it to somebody the other day. But if you're in, if you're in ad hoc hell, right, I've got a, I might be an onboarding project manager, and I have a deck, and I have to train somebody on it, and I do that every day. That's an hour here, an hour there. My CSMs may have to, to train. You have... Let's just put this into a context. Let's, let's do a back of the napkin type calculation. Let's, let's do this story. You have a team of three project managers. Each one of them spends time onboarding your customers, right? You get assigned to a project manager and you will sit down and go through just what I said. Often, you, you may also be a customer success manager managing renewals or um, CSR and you're doing in volume. So you could be any one of these people. And in fact, you're probably going to have a matrix of them. So now keep in mind these points. Number one, you didn't hire these people to be trainers. Yeah, they've got they've got other jobs to do. Right. Well, a project manager. What are the skill sets of a project manager? Um, let's see. Getting really good with uh, Gantt charts and keeping people on track and keeping the project moving. <laughs> uh, or they're a scrum master. But yeah, like their their job is to what shepherd people go around. Hey, knocking on your door. Where are we at on this? 
are they really trainers? They might be sometimes. Some of them, I've seen some really spectacular project managers that can also train. It's rare. Yeah, and same thing with CSMs, right? Uh, you hire a CSM because they're really good at retaining a book of business, protecting mm-hmm. revenue, helping customers see value, but you didn't necessarily hire them because they're trainers. No. Some of them are really good at it, but that's not why you hired them. Yeah, there's a few people that I know that are spectacular at it, but that's just a bonus, right? They're a purple squirrel. So that's number one. Number two, what kind of workload do these people have? Like, think about a project manager. Um, maybe they have five, ten. I've seen project managers have like 20 customers. A CSM, oh my God, they might have mm-hmm. 100 if you're in a, lo- what, a low-touch type environment, right? Absolutely, yeah. Well, let's do it like this. Let's just say a, you have somebody, a project manager or a customer success manager. They take, they do an hour product overview. So when you when you start to onboard, let's engage with the, the team. And we, we kick back and say, hey, Adam, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about the product. I'm going to tell you, how, you know, all the ins and outs of it. Let's do a product review. I, I like that uh, the verb you used there was tell, because that's usually what they're doing too. They're not actually training. We'll yeah. do another podcast on that. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, like, let's let's <laughs> stick a pin in that one because telling is not training. Training is the, the training is that uh, somebody pushing. Learning is the absorption, right? Indeed. So then, let's say we have an hour product review. Then let's say, and and I know I've seen this over and over again, several like every other week or every week where you have a thirty minute session. Hey, I'm going to teach you how to use this feature. I'm going to show you about this feature. We're going to go through this feature. Did you do your homework? You know, like project managers put it in a project management flavor where they break it up and they deliver it just like they're trying to deliver a project. And then you've got maybe a 30-minute slack. Now, this is um, just playing around with numbers. Let's say you have five customers, three hours a month that you contribute to them, times three project managers. That's 45 hours, 45 hours every month. That's enough to eat. That's a ridiculous amount of time. But they're all doing a repeatable thing. So even more, that kind of training is really hands-on too, because each one of these people have to take something out of their day. I've seen a lot of these folks like, man, I'm so exhausted. I have like three back-to-back training sessions and, you know, all that easy stuff. This is the first thing I always talk about. And Adam, I, I don't know if you've been in the same boat is, hey, aren't you doing something that's repeatable? Can't yep. we record that? Yep. Put, yep. put a video out there at the, you know, it doesn't have to be stellar. It just has to be something that covers it. They could look at it, maybe a document even. So that can be converted to maybe a, a one-time virtual instructor led with everybody on it, or it can be an on-demand that's done at whatever time you have because people are busy. Well, yeah, and what, when you say hands-on too, I think about who is it hands-on for because when you're doing that type of manual ad hocatraz type training, it's super hands-on for the instructor because they have to prepare all that material and they have to be on the call every time, mm-hmm. but it's not hands-on a lot of the time for the customer right. because – it, for them, it's, you know, five minutes at the end Q&A. Right. Whereas if you're able to take this material and scale it, then it's more hands-on for the customer because they actually get to explore. They get to work at their own pace. Hopefully, you've designed some interactivities for them. <laughs> but it's not as hands-on for the instructor because now the learners are taking more control. So hands-on is a, a whole different area to explore, too. I love that. And you know what just popped in my head, Adam? I was thinking about imagine you wanted to learn how to play a piano. Right. And you bought a SAS, you know, a subscription as a service training course for a piano lesson where you go to somebody and they get on a call with you and they tell you all the keys you should be pressing. And they tell you about the song and how beautiful it is, but you don't actually touch the keyboard. Isn't that kind of the equivalent of what we do a lot of the times in that ad hoc type training? Absolutely. Um, we have a we have a pretty broken idea of how people actually learn things. And I'd love to do another episode, maybe even multiple episodes just on that, because people get this real wrong. Let's do it. So, I mean, I'm really passionate about this. Like, this is something that you learn from hard-won lessons that you can't do. You have to make it interactive. You have to let the learner do it. So let's break this one down and stop it by saying, or let's complete this idea by saying, look, you take those hours that you would calculate, even back of the napkin, convert those to dollars. And then this is a super, super expensive cost to you, right? You probably have some efficiency metric you can tie into, but dollars talk. If you present to your manager, your manager's manager, look, I need to hire somebody for customer education because we're spending 45 hours a week doing this. 
End of yeah, story. and 45 hours a week equals, you know, however many dollars. You take your cost per ticket or you take your all-in mm-hmm. CSM headcount costs. Um, that's something I've been able to do in the past, too, just to show how expensive that, that manual work is. And people respond to that. Absolutely. Well, numbers talk, always. So, Adam, why don't you tell us about those numbers now we're, we're working through those. All right. So let's level up from our our number of hours that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And let's actually talk about some numbers that the board really cares about. So we're we're gonna make this situation even a little scarier. Generally, your board doesn't care how many hours a CSM is spending doing training. The board doesn't really care about, um, you know, how many training hours you've sold. But what the board does care about is something called the LTV to CAC ratio. Sounds complicated. Uh, I know. It sounds scary, right? So we're, we're trying to scare <laughs> people right now. <laughs> let's, use some, uh, let's use some acronyms. So LTV is the customer's lifetime value. Essentially, it's how many dollars did you bring in over the lifetime of that customer. And in a SaaS business, that's really important because you have to keep renewing the customer. CAC, on the other hand, is the customer acquisition cost. And some people also like to divide that into acquisition cost and retention cost because Again, you're paying CSMs and uh, support agents and everyone to maintain that relationship over time. Mm -hmm. But basically, the way this breaks down is that you spent a certain amount of money to acquire a customer. And usually, that's way more money than it would take to retain that customer over time. But a lot of companies end up in a situation where they're buying dollars at a discount. So they're bringing in these customers, um, and they're spending a lot of money to do it. But those customers don't stay long enough to actually achieve profitability for the company. So mm-hmm. even though um, you know, the sale was really excited and you got to bang the gong and all that good stuff, uh, the customer leaves before you've actually um, let the lifetime value dollar number surpass the customer acquisition cost dollar number. And this is something that boards really care about. Yeah, I bet. Now, Adam, I've got a question for you. Yeah. So going back in time, I remember working with, um, we're, we're getting software and we're installing servers and all this stuff and the software is on premise. And it's like a wholly different model from where we used to be. So in, in the days that I started cutting my teeth on training, you got a big manual, you know, there was a heavy investment to learn it because we paid for it up front, mm-hmm. right? It's, we spent a million dollars on the software gosh darn it, you're going to learn it. And now it's completely different. So aren't you? So what you're saying here is that over the life, I've got to make that lifetime. I've, I, I am in customer success devoted to retaining. That, is that what you're saying is the big change here for us educators? Yeah, I, I think two big things have changed. So I, I started in the on-prem world as well. Probably didn't spend quite as long there. But, you know, in the old days, Let's call it the old days. A, the, uh, just the way that, that implementing that software worked and the way that you achieved profitability on it, you're right, completely different. Um, because all that money basically is invested upfront. So you're protecting mm-hmm. your investment by doing training. And in the SaaS world, everything's different, right? The, the renewal is always going on. So you can't just leave your customer alone for three years and then you know, take them out for whiskey and golf. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that's changed is technology itself. So the way that we deliver our software obviously has changed. It's it's mostly in the cloud now, but that also changes the way that we communicate with our customers. So before we would have to do week-long trainings with them because that was when they were implementing their software, but right. we would also be doing week-long trainings with them because that was the technology available to us. It was getting on a plane and having a slide projector. Mm-hmm. So those are the two biggest things I think that have that have changed. Good stuff. I mean, it's it's a different world out there. Yeah, and so you know, from a board's perspective, when they ask about a company's customer success strategy, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about safeguarding revenue, and they're talking about doing it on an ongoing basis. So, as a startup, you spend all this money uh, as you raise funding, hiring sales and marketing for your CAC number, and then you get customer success for LTV. So the question that you have to ask about efficiency is, am I going to achieve LTV if my CSMs are basically running around taking orders and reacting to customers? Mm -hmm. Or is that just causing a leaky bucket problem? And I think a lot of uh, companies don't realize that until it's too late. And that's when they start trying to plug that hole with customer education. They could have avoided a lot of this problem if they'd started that earlier. 
Right. And that, that I think that's what we've seen and others that in our network have seen as well. And now it's evangelizing this point. So let me ask you a question then going deeper. You got, I know you've got a lot of good numbers and you and I are, are pretty kindred spirits because we love data, right? We, we love to prove scientifically, you know, why we're doing this. Yeah, that's why we're the, the C lab, not the C guess. <laughs> C guess. <laughs> okay, we'll, cu- we'll cut that out. <laughs> Actually, might stay in. Uh, talk data. Uh, lay, lay down some data, brother. Talk, talk data to me. Talk data to me. I like, ooh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we actually do have some industry-wide data and some specific data from our companies on the effect of having training and the effect of having more dedicated customer education programs. So one of the, uh, the big pieces of data out there is from the uh, TSIA, which is the Technology Services Industry Association. Mm-hmm. They're one of the one of the only major research associations that's actually doing any work on education services. So anyway, they did a, a survey of education services team that they worked with. And what they found was that for customers who were trained, 68% of them used the product more compared to customers who were untrained. Goodness. And they also uh, asked, you know, how many of these customers are writing into support versus not? For customers who were trained, 87% were working more independently and not asking support all these basic level questions that were actually preventing them from getting to value. Those are both significant numbers. Yeah, it's, it's big. And often, you know, as customer success teams, you're looking at this big number called retention or called renewals or called churn, but those are, those are not leading indicators. Those are lagging indicators. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at churn or if you're looking at renewal, you're not looking necessarily at all the work you had to do to earn that renewal or to not have earned it, and that's why the customer churns. Mm-hmm. So I think looking at these leading indicators, like how independent customers are, how quickly they're getting to value, whether they're actually adopting the product more, these are numbers that you can manage to before you're just chasing down a renewal. So that, that Adam, that could be like an OKR or you know set goals that you start within your customer success team or without it, where you're, you're managing to those early on, you've got numbers to hit, and those should reflect downstream. Yeah, we, we made that shift at Optimizely. Um, we did a lot of data analysis around what led customers to churn or to renew. And one, you know, this, this sounds like such an obvious insight in <laughs> retrospect, but we found that, you know, one of the biggest leading indicators to renewal was were customers consistently using our product. And so we had three key indicators that we were looking at. We were looking at how often do customers log in. Mm-hmm. We looked at how often do customers start experiments, and we looked at how often do those experiments achieve statistical significance. Because basically those three actions are the same three core actions that show that you're getting meaningful usage out of Optimizely's product. So when we were doing this analysis, we also wanted to take a cut of what do trained versus untrained customers do against those three adoption metrics. So what we found was that customers who used our knowledge base were 70% more likely to start running an experiment than the customers who weren't. That's huge. That's amazing. And yeah, and then uh, also 15% more if they got all the way through our academy. 15% more if they got through it, 50, on top of that. So you're saying 85%? Yeah, so that, and that number, by the way, if you got all the way through the academy, that's not counting customers who popped into the academy, got what they needed, and left. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not necessarily counting customers who are using the the old version of our academy that we weren't even tracking in this analysis. Right. So yeah, you got you got a fifteen percent increase uh, compared to if you hadn't finished the academy. So that was that was got great. It. And then we got also it. looked at statistical significance uh, again, which is one of our value metrics. So those numbers again were like forty six percent more for customers who used our docs, and seventeen percent more if they completed the academy. So in both cases, we were able to show that usage of our education materials correlated, not necessarily causation, but at least correlated with successful customers who are adopting the product more. 
Well, that's fantastic because product adoption, adoption is one of the key milestones in a good customer success program. If you're not using the product, you don't care about the product. I mean, what, what usually happens? You come in, somebody may give training, you may kind of pay attention to it. And then, yep. and then all of a sudden, like, is anybody asking you to use it? Do you care about using it? And then you flop, you know, the numbers flop off, the people forget it. And then you forgot you even had the product and you turn. Shelfware, right? Mm -hmm. It becomes shelfware. It's there, but yeah, you're not using it. Well, what about the flip side of that with renewals and, and how, how do we see renewals fit into this picture of customer education from your perspective? Can you re-ask the question? Yeah. Like, so we've talked product adoption and product. I mean, this is for anybody who's listening. If you look at the numbers, which are going to be in our notes, you know, 68% of trained customers use the product more, 87% of trained customers work more independently and so on. That's just the first part of the customer success continuum, you know, to get the customers using your software and loving your software. But then let's talk renewal, right? So that's, Hey, I've been, I'm a year out or I'm two years out, whatever the contract is. That magic day that you talked about before, the, the whiskey and golf moment, um, what's the metric that you're seeing that training influences? Like, how do we get an uptick on customer education on our bottom line? All right, so here's where we move from the leading indicator to the lagging indicator. There's all that work that we do within that year or two years between CSMs and support agents and project managers uh, and then hopefully with customer education, you're also able to do that with greater scale. So now we come to the renewal moment. We also looked at the TSAA data around this, and what they found was that on average, 92% of trained customers renew compared to a baseline of 80% of untrained customers, which is significant. That is very significant. I mean, if you're looking at a 92% renewal rate versus an 80% renewal rate, and you extrapolate that uh, in a recurring revenue model, that's, it's like a compound interest. The, the dollars behind that actually end up becoming a lot more significant than just the percentage points. Right. And Adam, this is affecting from in customer success lingo, I think you're going to translate this as the net renewal rate. Um, mm -hmm. Hitting that value that if we're making, if we're helping to contribute and elevate that number, that's amazing. Because what you want to do in customer success, of course, is, you know, you kind of want to be in at the, at the bare minimum in the upper 90s, I believe. And we'll have to look at that. But ideally, you want to be over 100%. Correct. You, you want to have your, your net renewal. Yeah, you want to have your net renewal or net expansion above 100 mm -hmm. uh, because then you're actually having your accounts expand over time instead of having to refill that bucket that's slowly leaking out. <laughs> Absolutely. And then, then if you were to translate that to like, I, I think the Holy Grail, and why don't you go ahead and finish this out? And I do have a point after this. Uh, that, that I want to bring up that talks about the, the whole thing. But what about how does this translate to the bottom line? Like money? What yeah, does this so, end up being? <laughs> right, because money talks, like you said earlier. So we were looking at this, um, this infographic from Thought Industries, and they're, they're one of the uh, LMS providers out there. And they had a, a statistic from, I believe, from Bain's research, where it showed that even a 5% renewal rate increment that was going to net you 25% to 95% more profit, which is huge. That is and if massive. you take that 12% number, yeah, if you take that 12% data, uh, sorry, if you take that 12% delta, then that becomes 60 to 200% more profit. So anything you can do to increase that renewal number is going to help. Anything you do to increase that number at scale is going to give you an optimal LTV CAC ratio, going back to what the board cares about. Yeah, and this all this all sounds really uh, confusing at first if you've never heard these terms. But if you've lived in the industry like we have for a while, you're like, "Oh yeah, I get it." And Adam, the uh, one thing I wanted to contribute onto this, and this this is obviously fodder for another podcast, like in detail. I'm a data nerd. You're a data nerd. Hopefully, that's not offensive. Um, I, I love, love being working. called a nerd. <laughs> Talk nerdy to me. I'm <laughs> I'm totally cool with it. But here's the other thing that is underscoring all of what we're talking about here. That not only do you need to start today with a customer education program if you do not have one, but you need to, in first principles, think about the data, mm -hmm. right? How are you going to measure these values if we're not tracking? Maybe this means you have to have a learning management system or some other method to track. 
eyeballs, you know, going through your training or people in the training or test outcomes, or even more, I like numbers where I'm watching actually, uh, I'll use the big word telemetry, Ooh. you know, the clicks, clicks in the product. I'm on product. I'm doing something in product. And you could, with a certain tooling, like I think you used um, your own product before do this, and, and I had used Gainsight to, as my tool to take all the data, aggregate all the data, collate all the data, correlate a training class that I had with an uptick in somebody using the product. I could see that almost in real time with the right thing. Mm -hmm. So underlying all these, if you're not tracking this data, realize right now that that tracking of the data and thinking about those numbers Again, we're going to talk about this at a length in another podcast, but you got to get to those numbers and you being proactive as a customer education professional, having all this data and then proactively surfacing this to your leadership team, they're going to love you for it because they're going to go, oh, we weren't even thinking about this. Absolutely. What, what I think you're talking about here, if I understand you correctly, is, you know, backing up from all these um, numbers and all these, all these acronyms, the reason why we're talking in those terms is that if you can storytell in the language of your business, and if you can deliver an insight to your business that they didn't already understand, that's what helps you drive value. Mm -hmm. And as a customer education leader, you're not gonna get very far just by talking about the number of hours someone spent in a classroom or the number of articles you created or things like that. People just don't, they don't care. That story doesn't mean anything to them. Uh, what we have to get really good at talking about is what we're doing for the business. Absolutely. And that's, that's hard. It's harder than, I think this is part of the new world of customer education from first principles. When you hit the ground, you need to be thinking about the outcomes, the learning outcomes, the objectives, and correlate that to the business values or objectives as well, right? Yeah. And I think we'll, we'll get into this in a future podcast as well, but you don't necessarily need to be doing this like value attribution to the business from day one. There are stories that you can tell much earlier about how you're generating direct impact for the business and you can get more quantitative and qualitative data to support that. Um, but the reason that that you know we've been harping on some of these things and why I keep saying LTV-CAC ratio is that it starts with you knowing what's important to your business. Mm -hmm. And even if you can't tell a direct causal story about what you did and how that impacted, I hate to use impact as a verb. If you can't tell, <laughs> if you can't tell a story about how that affected your business metrics, then you're probably not going to get very far. It doesn't need to be a causal story. It can be correlation. It can be customer quotes. You got to start somewhere, but it starts with you being able to speak the language of your business. Totally. Cool. Well, I think we've gone through all the major points today. Um, how about we dip into the mailbag and see what our uh, listeners are talking about? All right. Let's. Uh, I'll, I'll make the sound of like ruffling through. Uh, I don't have any papers in front of me. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Welcome. You've got mail. We'll, we'll find that soundbite. The AOL soundbite? Yeah. <laughs> Remember that? Welcome. You've got mail. All right. So maybe one of us read and the other one uh, respond. How do we want to do that? Uh, yeah. Which, which, which one do you want to do? Um, let's see. Okay. Why don't you read the question and you, you just talked for a long time and I'll go ahead and talk a little bit. All right, so today's question comes from Julie in Temecula, and she writes, how do you get out of ad hoc hell if your customers keep asking for custom training? Wow, that's a big one, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's hard, right? Because customers' needs come first. Well, let's pair this out and let's, let's, reflect on, let's both reflect on this and, and give some of our take. Um, let's take the first one. I'll take the first one. Um, the first point that I would say about this to Julie is, just doing what your customer wants you to do. That means, hey, Julie, we need to have, and I've been on these calls, we need to have this custom training. You know, we're different from everybody else. That's the enemy of scale. How much time are you going to be spending on building that just for them, but it's just for them? So then you're not addressing the rest of the people. Um, that's huge. You've got to think about scale, right? Like templating out your courses, meaning, I'm, it might take me a little bit longer, but what I'm going to do is say, I'm going to look at the bigger picture. How would I do this to everybody? And then go back to the customer and say, okay, absolutely. I'll give you a custom training. It's going to cost you this much. I'll be there. And I need to have a little bit of time to tweak it. 
So like twenty percent. I love I love putting the the price tag on it too. That was a nice touch. <laughs> well, custom training. So I, I don't know how you feel about this, Adam, but in a lot of cases, when you're in a, in a team and you're early on, you're not thinking about the numbers, the cost of the training, except if I have to go to somebody or I have to do something very specific. In most cases, you go either way. But yeah, think about that. Mm-hmm. What other, point, what other um, points would you have on this, Adam? Yeah, you know, when you mentioned customizing that 20%, I, I think a lot about the uh, Pareto principle mm-hmm. where, you know, 80% of something yields 20% of something else. So 80% of the wealth is held by 20% of the people. And in this case, it's probably 80% of the content is going to be relevant to 20% of the customers. So how can you flip that and find the 20% of content that will be relevant to 80% of your customers? So there's probably a core curriculum that you can adapt a little bit over time. And so when you talk about customizing it for this customer, um, you know, everyone believes that they're a beautiful, unique snowflake, but <laughs> sometimes customization means that you have to uh, be able to tweak from a curriculum. And that makes you more consultative, right? Because instead of saying, yes, customer, I'm going to take your order and I'm going to do exactly what you want, you can push back on them a little bit and say, hey, you know, what we've found is that, you know, even though you want to learn about topics A, B, C, X, Y, Z, it's actually um, not necessarily going to be beneficial based on the goals that you've told us about. Right. And that's hard. I mean, that conversation with a customer, and I've had many, many of these where somebody says, no, we want you to come here and want you to give you this many hours, give us this many hours of training and do these things. And then you have to put on your, and this is where, Adam, we were talking about how many hats we've got to wear in customer education for smaller organizations. This is my consultant hat <laughs> where <laughs> yeah. I say, okay, I, um, I guess this would this mean when you're in that conversation with a customer, and you're really deeply listening to them, you also have the chutzpah to say, okay, I get it. I know what you want. Here's what I'm going to recommend to you. And that is, I've got this block of training. Actually, uh, what I've done before is offered a combination, a hybrid of like some on-demand or online material, and then found it actually is more um, more pro- more productive when people have already gotten their head around a couple of modules. And when I get to them, that we can focus on the custom stuff. So that's yeah. a lot of good things. Yeah, I, I think another um, another consulting tip that I learned is you don't necessarily shut the customer down at first. You know, you mm-hmm. can start with, we can do, you know, whatever you want. That said, what we found is dot, dot, dot. Right. So you don't need to use those exact words necessarily, but but kind of framing it that way in terms of, yes, we're able to do what you want, but I'm going to challenge you a little bit on what you've asked for. Right. And it may actually be a good thing going back to the pricing point uh, we, we talked about a little bit ago. When you talk numbers with somebody and say, here are my SKUs for training. And, and when you're early on, you don't have these. It takes a while to develop them. But here's all the on-demand. On-demand you can take for, well, it's included. You know, don't talk about money. Um, mm-hmm. It does have a cost. It's included to do on-demand because that's scaling. But then, oh, you want me to do a custom training class? Well, You'll get all of this stuff, but for us to come to you and do this, it costs this. For us to do a virtual instructor-led private training with you, it costs that. And a lot of the times what I've seen is that the customers will have a really open discussion with you then. Go, oh, so that's going to cost us X on top of, and they go, yeah, unless you negotiate it in advance. And then we start to get to a more rational thing like, oh, okay, like totally cool with the on-demand. How about we do like office hours or how about we do a smaller training? And then it really helps drive the scale discussion from a business perspective. And in my experience, would, would you absolutely else to add to that? No, I, I totally agree with you. As soon as you start talking dollars, you, you find out what people really value. So it sounds like we're going to have to do another episode um, on training, pricing, and consultation. Absolutely. Uh, That'll be a long one. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. All right. Let's let's close out the mailbag. Um, As always, what we want to make this an interactive thing. Uh, If you have a burning question about customer education, again, we're a laboratory. We're going to consider things, um, talk about the hypothesis, challenge that hypothesis, send it to us. Uh, You'll see a link in the show notes on how to reach out to us. And we're going to answer that in a future mailbag section. Adam, do you want to begin summarizing this and and we'll uh, we'll lead out? All right. so, So just to summarize this week's lesson, let's wrap this up with a clear call to action. 
So get out a piece of paper or a Google Doc or wherever you take notes, and let's make three points to take away. Number one, are you doing training today? So spend a little time talking with your team. Interview them, send a survey, but however you do it, just make sure to get some detail. Find out what the current landscape is. Are your CSMs training? What do your CSRs do? So on and so forth. Leave no stone unturned. Awesome. So what about the next step? Uh, how much time are the people you're working with spending in, as Adam would say, ad hoc atras? I love that. Um, rattling again, on the cages. Rattling on the cages. Attica. <laughs> again, <laughs> back of the napkin. Don't spend a lot of time at this at first, right? Until somebody in leadership is asking for it. Get some numbers on paper and, and sit down and think about like, how much time people are really spending, and be honest about it. Have people track it. Maybe even use your time tracking software to say how much time people are spending in activities. Yeah, absolutely. And so last point is to start thinking about your metrics. Now, we'll come back and we'll cover this in, in future podcasts. But for now, think both about the, the value metric that you'd like to drive in the future. So what does your business care about? And what are some of the things that you want to start measuring today? So look at who's taking training. What does training look like? What information can I gather from that? Uh, what metrics are important to my business? How could I show that people are or aren't taking training? And how can I use that to eventually demonstrate success for my program? That's awesome. So to close this out, if you want to learn more, we have a website where we'll host um, blogs and other articles from this. And we made it really easy for you. It's customer.education, right? No.com or anything, customer.education. You can find our show notes and everything else, links to other material all online. And please, if you found value in our podcast, we'd really like you to share with your friends, your peers, your network, uh, and, and help us connect. Once more, you can also reach out to us. Uh, we will, of course, have email addresses to correspond with us. Um, we're out on Twitter. Uh, I'm at at Dave Darrington. Adam, what's your handle? I'm at Avramescu, A-V-R-A-M-E-S-C-U. Fabulous. And we're also on LinkedIn. So if you want to learn about us and interact, check us there as well. And to close this out, get out there, educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening.